everyone today i'm discussing maddie ferguson with joyce picker and i'm gonna hand over the mic so she can introduce herself further hi everyone i'm joyce picker and i'm talking about maddie ferguson one of my favorite characters of twin peaks i'm a fan from when it first aired on abc and i've been watching it over and over and over and over again through the years i've written about it in a blue rose magazine and then 25 years later or also known as 25 YL, also known as 25YL. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. This is one kind of right off the bat is that people, when they look at the fact that Shirley played Laura and Maddie, now people bring it up as a Tulpa. Was there anything, since you mentioned you watched on ABC, did you have any theories of like how you felt about Maddie looking identical to Laura? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, when I first watched it, I wasn't aware of Tulpas or doppelgangers. It all, you know, came later on in the series when it became more involved with Tulpas. I didn't think I knew about until season three. I just thought, this is great. The character, Maddie, is played by the same actress as the one who plays Laura. Also, they're identical cousins. I can groove with that. I, I think I like this actress. I think I like this character. I think it's interesting that she's so similar to Laura, looks-wise. But then when you read up about her and watch more of the series, there, there's some connections that they had that are more in the psychic realm. That's the thing that I found interesting about uh, The Secret Diary in particular, because every event that I could keep track of, it mostly pertained to how Maddie could always sense that Laura was in trouble. Like the first time she is when she arrives in Twin Peaks right after Laura's 12th birthday, she actually confides in Laura about the dreams where she felt that Laura was in trouble. I think this all has to deal with the abuse of Leland slash Bob like right after her 12th birthday. And uh, then she picks up on the fact that Laura is depressed. And also on that note is that uh, Laura dwells on her unhappiness and other people's expectations when Maddie is gone. So I think there's definitely a certain positive influence beyond just family that uh, Maddie has and that Laura can feel in return. Yeah, there's definitely a connection. And it goes in the secret diary that they were pretty close as, you know, and, and that seems more valid in the diary than it does in um, the series. We kind of wonder why is she spending more time in Twin Peaks after Laura died? But then you realize you go through the diary and I'm like, well, believe it or not, Maddie started out as kind of an influence on Laura. And later on, it reversed. Like Maddie wanted to be more like Laura. But then Maddie was more of a wild child like hey let me give you some cigarettes and i'm dating this guy and let me teach you and donna how to french kiss and then in the series donna has to be introduced to her so there's a couple discrepancies but i like the fact that maddie is portrayed a little bit uh, her wild side is portrayed a little bit more prominent in the diary you actually brought up a really good point about the dynamic with them because I don't know if Jennifer Lynch has the idea of fire that David Lynch does, but there's some distinct about the uh, laying the cigarette 
that kind of sets the precedent for Laura and to a lesser extent Donna because uh you know obviously there, there's always a thing about fire and the more nefarious nature behind it so that is kind of interesting that you bring up that dynamic because there's a that almost near role reversal with the two of them and how there is that certain influence like knowingly or unknowingly from Maddie yeah it's interesting yeah especially in the series in the series it's more like Maddie wants to be Laura and Donna wants to be Laura to find out what happened to Laura. Maddie in series is more like, well, she maybe doesn't have much of a life in Missoula and she wants some excitement, but she also cared deeply for Laura and she wants to know what happened. But there's this thing that happens to her and Donna where she really wants to become her and it's dangerous for everybody involved. I think a lot of it is that it's something that's introduced in Fire Walk with me where Laura is furious over Donna wearing any of her clothes. And the thing is that in the season one finale, that's around the point where Maddie dresses up as Laura, where I think that's starting to set something off because she still has a general meekness when you go into season two. But then also there is that thing of like when she pulls off her glasses after wearing Laura's sunglasses and she says that she hates wearing them. And then she hands it to Donna, who really changes, where I know that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but from what we see in Universe is that there's some about, like, wearing the glasses and then having the cigarettes that really just changes her. And it's almost like it's, like, the thing that Laura was, like, the most concerned about. Like, she knew that there was something, like, a subtle physical power, for lack of a better term, of, like, anyone who wears her stuff. Yeah, Laura was protective of her friends because she knew her life was dangerous to them. And if they knew her secrets, it, it could have been dangerous to a lot more people. I mean, if they knew about one-eyed jacks or if they knew about language, of course, which Laura didn't realize till a couple of days before she died. But really becoming Laura, even though it seemed intriguing on the outside because she was a homecoming queen, she was this beauty, she did charity work but there's a sadness force that they must have noticed although it seems like they just wanted to immerse themselves in it it makes me wonder if if maddie uh i mean of course we talk about how she can pick up stuff subconsciously but it's in august of 86 87 depending on how you interpret the years in the diary she actually does call laura right after laura has her abortion and the thing that I find interesting is that when Sarah, she she's in that scene when uh, she calls up and then Laura says that she could feel her mother's pure jealousy because of it. And it really makes me wonder what that dynamic is like, obviously with Sarah, with or her to feel that way, but also what that means with a bond between Laura and Maddie. Yeah, I definitely feel like, uh, well, there was a connection, too, because both Sarah and Maddie had uh, certain gifts. I don't know. It's uh, something about maybe sharing Laura. Maybe they wanted to hold on to this girl that they knew was in danger but didn't know why necessarily. Maybe it was a protection thing, the jealousy. Like, I need to protect her. Maybe Maddie sensed, since she did have this psychic ability, maybe Maddie sensed that Sarah knew things, and maybe subconsciously she knew things that she didn't know in the day-to-day what was going on because she was drugged. But how could she not see that there was a problem between Laura and Leland? That's actually a really good point because um, I think for me, I always thought of the behind the scenes aspect where I think it was Grace Zabriskie. She liked the idea that um, Sarah and Beth, where I think she wanted them to be not quite witches, but something of that caliber. So I think that uh, when I look at the secret diary, it's one of those things where I think it was 
more so Grace Zabriskie over Lynch and Frost, but it just, I think that's a factor I've honed in on a little too much just because there's just a way that Grace Zabriskie invests herself in that character and how she handles herself in that. That's interesting. I never, I never knew about the witch stuff, but I can totally see that happening with Sarah. One of the things that about Maddie, and you see this especially in the Lynch-directed episodes, is that she's always primarily wearing blue, including her introduction. And of course, everyone has their own interpretation, but there is something very deliberate about anything Lynch when blue is used. And I think that definitely, even before, you know, even excluding anything pertaining to Tulpas, this is some very significant to parallel Maddie with Laura. I've heard different interpretations of blue. The only one I can think of is, of course, blue rose, something that's not natural, something that doesn't occur in nature. And maybe identical cousins, you know, even though it's there's a sitcom. Like 50s or 60s that dealt with identical cousins, but yeah, maybe it's that. I don't know. I know blue is. What do you What do you see blue as? It's something that I I felt confident about, or at least not confident, but at least comfortable with uh, early on. But I feel like it's been changing on the circumstance I see it in. But I always viewed it as like a certain degree of sadness, more so geared towards an effeminate nature. Because I view blue velvet as like the template of Lynch's filmography from that point on in terms of uh, how he uses that those colors and how he likes to use it, like carrying over into the rest of his filmography. So I think that's where I really stick with it uh, in terms of how we're discussing Maddie and her use of the color blue. Yeah, Dorothy Valens in Blue Velvet, that was certainly a tragic character. And Maddie, even though we weren't necessarily aware of it when she was on the show, she became a tragic character too. That does make me think, because you mentioned the Blue Rose, uh, and this actually is in two Lynch-directed episodes. Do you ever notice anything about her robe in the season two premiere and the episode of her death? All I, all I remember is, well, they were blue robes. They wouldn't have, did they have clouds on it or something, or am I imagining Maybe it was clouds, but I could have sworn it was a flower on the one where it's a, yeah, because she's wearing it when she has that vision, uh, when she sees the outline. She's also wearing it when she tells uh, Leland and Sarah that she's going to leave finally. The thing is that I know that the blue rose wasn't really a thing because, of course, this uh, predates Fire Walk with me. But I thought that was a very interesting and seemingly deliberate thing to have her wear that when, one, she sees the vision of her death. And two, the one on the day of her death. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was a thing of when she was in the rope and sitting around drinking coffee and being in her pajamas. One time, there's one scene of her in her pajamas at night sneaking around with fuzzy slippers. And like, she seemed at home at the Palmer house. And leaving was kind of maybe a hard decision for her because she was there to comfort Sarah and Leland. But then things started happening when she was there that were tragic for other people, like her and Donna and James getting involved with being spies or sending things off to find out more about Laura. It caused Dr. Jacoby to have a heart attack and be beaten. In a way, their meddling caused Harold to commit suicide. I think another reason why Maddie was ready to leave and go back to her life, even though she wasn't necessarily happy with it, and it wasn't that exciting back in Missoula, she did feel guilty about this love triangle with her and Donna and James. And she knew she didn't belong with James, but... The appeal was there. I mean, she couldn't help but become a part of this love triangle because, one, she felt a lot of wanting to be a little bit like Laura. And two, 
I mean, the three of them were so close. Next thing you know, it's sitting around singing this torch song. And how can she not develop feelings and see that he's seeing her, even though he's seeing her as Laura? I think you brought it up in the Blue Rose issue of The Women of Lynch, where she wants to be more like Laura. But the thing is that, um, and while there is a certain danger, dangerous nature behind that, the fact that, you know, if you're going to end up with one guy, if you're going to be like Laura, James is at least a pretty good one to go for. And people can say what they will about him, but he's at least as harmless as it can be. And this is something that pertains more so to James, but you can tell that he truly loved Laura. And actually, I think that what you see with him in season three, that he never quite got over it. And also, even the final dossier, Tammy even brings up that. I think just he wore his emotions on his sleeve so much, and it just kind of cycles back to how he handled that relationship with Maddie, and how I think even when they're about to break it off, or at least when she's about to leave, she says she kind of liked it the whole time. Mm-hmm. She liked people seeing her as Laura. There's one time when this, this conflict happens between Donna and her. She's crying to Leland, saying that, you know, she just came in town for a funeral, and next, she literally said, all I did was come to the funeral. And it's like I fell into a dream. It's like people think I'm Laura. But then she talks to James before she leaves. And yes, she did like being seen as Laura through his eyes. Which is sad because, I mean, if she's unhappy with her own life in Missoula and all of a sudden getting this attention because she looks like this iconic cousin of hers. It must have been a tough reasoning to want to leave town. But then she wasn't a stupid person. Like James, according to Laura, but uh, no, um, she just, she knew it was time to go because she figured she caused harm that she didn't mean to. This is kind of branching off the idea of her basically being like Laura. And uh, this is something I've been thinking about within the week leading up to this recording is that I think of how deceptively important it is when we get to the season one finale, when she dresses up like Laura. Because I was thinking about when she's leaving the Palmer home, where she doesn't realize that Leland's sitting in the dark. And the thing is that there is a a little kind of parallels of her leaving and then Leland just kind of looking out the window. Kind of this realization that she's going to do something. And I was thinking about it was that with Leland, when Jacoby gets attacked, he talks about the smell of like scorched engine oil. kind of, Which really brings a lot of the parallels of Leland in that to fire walk with me with the one or man. But also the whole thing is that actually even Mark Frost confirmed that both that man and I think he even said the man behind the trees when Mike, Bobby and uh, Leo are talking that that is Leland. And I was thinking about it is that maybe there's something about her dressing up like Laura that was setting Leland slash Bob off because I actually I think about how where uh, James and Donna, you know, of course, what they did when they talk about in the season two premiere is that Jacoby got injured because of them. But I think there's a little more to it because James and Donna, of course, how could they ever know that Leland slash Bob would be set off? But I think that when Leland attacked Jacoby, it was like a pure rage sort of thing of like a, because I think he knows, he must have picked up on Jacoby and the dynamic. Because if he can go through Laura's diary, then uh, there's, you know, what's that to say about what he does or doesn't know about Jacoby? And I think the attack was like a wrathful sort of thing. Like he never intended Jacoby to survive. Like it's like, it was like the worst possible fate for him to almost die in the middle of nowhere. And I think it really does have something to do with how, how Maddie looked dressed up as Laura, where if that could blindside Jacoby, someone who's generally pretty intelligent uh, to uh, just be infatuated, 
that says something about nefarious force like Bob slash Leland. Yeah, I can see that because yeah, I see when uh, when Maddie's walking out dressed as Laura to trick Jacoby, you see Leland in the dark. Of course, you don't know at the time when you're first watching the series who Leland really is. But it is creepy that he just sits there and kind of looks at her and, and he's like, ooh, there's something not right about the way he's looking at her. I think Bob or Leland, as with the Bob's demon, I guess, he wanted Laura all to himself. And the pages written in the diary both led you to the clues that it was Leland, but also may have angered Leland slash Bob about Laura being with these other people because Laura was his or theirs. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that that's why, because I think he would, because had Donna and James been a little bit later, I think that Maddie would have suffered a similar enough fate, maybe not quite like Firewalk with me, but something gri- equally grisly to what happens to her in uh, season two, and that she was like this close to uh, to be suffering like completely unknowingly. Like uh, you know, for them to think that the worst thing that could have happened was Jacoby getting attacked, I do stand by since I've been thinking about it within the last week that it could have been far worse for Maddie without anyone realizing it. Yeah, well, when when Donna's almost attacked by Leland and almost killed, she, isn't she wearing something of Laura's? I think it's her sunglasses. I don't know if she's wearing them, but I think something's on her. I definitely remember there's something of hers that Leland was addressing after the episode after Maddie was killed. So anything that looked like something of Laura's triggered him. It's not unlike that scene in Fire Walk with me where uh, he sees the locket. And it sets him off where uh, he's it was like, did Bobby give this or is there someone new? And I always thought there was something about that dynamic about how Leland could pick up on that instantly. And Sarah was much more passive. I guess it's really obvious when like when you think about where they stood with Laura. But there is something very alarming about how perceptive Leland slash Bob could be in something like that. Yeah. Later on, you know, after Maddie is killed, they ask uh Harry and Coop have a conversation about why was Maddie killed, and Cooper just kind of said, well, she probably reminded him of Laura, and perhaps he could have dared to part with her. He wanted to relive an experience, or maybe she realized Bob was the killer, and he found out. But I think it's a lot more like just the reminding, and he didn't want to lose Laura again. And when Maddie said to Leland and Sarah that she's leaving, he's like, I can't lose Laura again. Because at that point, I mean, she looks like Laura. She dresses like Laura. She acts like Laura. I mean, when she rips up her glasses at the beginning of season two, which I always found hilarious, by the way. And then her hair changes, too, because when she's first, she first comes to town, her hair is really curly. And then it starts to straighten out and it becomes, her makeup becomes more like she's trying to be more sensual, like more sexy, appealing. But when she first comes to town, it's like, oh, what a sweet girl. But then in season two, she's more sexual. This is kind of cycling back to the whole wearing Laura stuff there's something to that. I don't know if I really have the best way to describe it, but there is something about the way she's starting to become like Laura. Because the thing is that her, James, and Donna, like you can kind of see that there's a, the, the Ryan's on the wall, but they're generally on the same page with each other. But there's a hugely shifting dynamics where she seems like she's really there for James for a while. Not that Donna's secondary, but then there's a bit of a role reversal where she ends up shifting towards Donna and a little more evasive of James. Because there's that part when uh, Maddie comes in the double R 
when James, I think just eating pie, it's like, oh, where are you, where are you up to for the night? And she's clearly not mentioned anything. So he kind of picks up that like this has to, I don't know if it was, if he knew it was Harold, but he knew that something was going on. He knew uh, that they were getting into trouble again. He knew that Donna was kind of seeing Harold. I don't know to the extent. I think there was some jealousy there. But um, Maddie was kind of protecting Donna at that point and didn't put James involved. But it's a good thing James got involved because he probably saved both of their lives. One thing that I'm thinking of is that, um, you know, we talked about how Leland, how that, it didn't look like it at first, but how seeing Maddie set him off thinking about Laura. And then James, right away, he was just transfixed by the fact it looked like a woman he loved that was just killed. But the thing is that with Harold... And maybe you could chalk it up that the room was that dark, but when he finds out he's being double-crossed, anything about Maddie looking like Laura is not even addressed. Maybe there's something about Harold about how he views the world or how he's kind of looking at something like far beyond like what James or Leland are. But I thought it was kind of interesting is that Harold just, that was never a point of reference for him. There's something in my notes about what Harold says when he finds out he's betrayed. Let me see. And I really liked that I had to write down. Oh, he says, do you know what the ultimate secret is? Laura did. The secret of knowing who killed you. And he's apparently out of control at that moment. And Donna and Maddie are terrified. But just two episodes later, Maddie's going to experience what he said that Donna knew, that she's going to know the secret. And the secret is more tragic than than anything really it's uh when people originally found out when i originally found out it was leland in that scene where he kills maddie i was devastated and i know it affects other people i didn't first of all i loved maddie i, I really felt a connection to her watching this and i don't know why because a lot of people think that she was kind of like a secondary character you know they don't think of when people think of twin peaks they don't think of madeline ferguson think flora palmer but scene where it's revealed who killed Laura Palmer and Leland slash Bob kills Maddie is the most devastating thing I've ever seen on TV. And the fact that it was her father, and then with Maddie's case, it was her uncle, but she knew the secrets when she started to be attacked. And the secret is more than just somebody killing Laura. It's somebody who raped her ancestrally, ancestrously. So it's more tragic than anything I've ever seen on TV. With that scene, actually, I remember talking about with Shirley Ladder at one point where we were talking about how people would probably be desensitized by how wildly over-the-top stuff like Game of Thrones can be. But she brought up a great point where she talked about how while Game of Thrones, those deaths could be very brutal in an over-the-top manner, what happened to Maddie is something that could very realistically happen to people. Because, you know, she co- comes in and then uh, Leland is brutally punching her in the face. And then there's this, like, vile, predatory nature, like, kissing, like, down her neck. And Ugh. that it, it, that part, I mean, the violence, the actual punching, that I feel like that's something that wouldn't be too far out of place in, like, early 90s TV. But the very, like, sexual predatory nature, that's the world part I'm like... It's just, ew. you just have that, like, just gross feeling, like, every time you have to watch that scene. And... The shifting of back and forth of going in real time to slow motion, that really adds, I mean, of course it's Lynch. Um, he always finds a way to like make something, uh, you know, something more horrific, even more terrifying in his own way. But that was something uh, that just, 
Oh, is that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's anything I could say that hasn't already been said about that death scene. Oh, I've been thinking about it, and that scene's always been very powerful, and I was a TV watcher for a good 20 years before that came on TV, so I've never seen anything like that. It wasn't on the Brady Bunch, thank goodness, but it wasn't on the Flintstones, you know, it wasn't on the Monkees. But what I want to say about that scene is, is I think um, it could be uh, compared in film history, it could be compared favorably to the shower scene in Psycho. I think people can analyze this scene brilliantly directed by David Lynch, both shot by shot. And it's the most shocking thing, maybe, since Marion Cree killing in Psycho, because here we have Janet Lee, the star of the movie, being killed like 40 minutes into the movie. And people think they see the knife go into her, even though it was off camera tricks. The way that the scene where uh, Maddie being killed is edited, I think it could be broken down in film history. It could be in film classes and even just be compared favorably to the shower scene in Psycho because it's shocking in that same way that audience must, must have felt in 1960. And I know Lynch is a huge Hitchcock fan, so I maybe this was an influence. But his own style, the way it was so unnatural, the way that Leland being violent and then Bob being sensual in a really gross way, going from slow motion to real time. And the noises you hear are fear and animal sounds. And I think that's also a good trick that they used in The Exorcist too, that you hear animal sounds a lot when you see the possessed Reagan and the exorcist. I think Lynch used all of his own way of filming things and then he used his influence. I don't know if he was influenced by Freakin, but I know Hitchcock was a huge influence on him. This one might be a little bit more about Leland, but of course uh, it's something that definitely has to be brought up because of the scene. I think of the scene where when she runs in, she's, uh, she starts not quite shouting, but it's in a raised voice like Uncle Leland was that it smells like something's burning. For me, that's always been the factor I thought of that made the whole Leland and Bob part that it was uh, that there's that fantastical aspect. I know that even the case of Ray Wise, he just views that's always Leland. I think for him, like when he filmed that scene, when it reveals the killer that, you know, we see Bob in the mirror, but Ray Wise saw himself, therefore Leland. Did you have any stances on the whole Bob slash Leland aspect, how it factors into Maddie's death? Go back and forth in that. When I saw the series, it seemed obvious when Leland had his death scene that he didn't know what Bob was doing. But in Fire Walk With Me, when he's killing Laura, he said, I thought you knew it was me, like molesting her, abusing her all these years. So it kind of goes back and forth. I know now people think Leland knew the whole time. Some people think that Bob was created by Laura, but then other people saw Bob. It wasn't just Laura who saw Bob. It was, you know, Maddie and Mrs. Palm and Sarah, you know, and Cooper. So there's been a lot of back and forth on that. But listening to Ray Wise interviews, reading his interviews, he thinks Leland knew. Yeah, that seems to be the, what people think nowadays. This is a, a little bit, it wasn't directly about Maddie, but I think of that prior episode when the one-armed man is in the sheriff's station and he starts talking about his partnership with Bob and he talks about the only people that could see him are the gifted and the damned. Yes, and, I wanted to bring that up too, yes. Yeah, that's the thing is he has a very select few people who have seen him 
And the thing is that with Ronette, she had the vision and then subsequently had the uh, letter under her nail. And the thing is that Maddie has a vision, but it's not quite the same thing. And it's, to my knowledge, no letter under a nail. So I'm not sure what if that's any factor of like where Maddie lies in terms of like the type of person she was when she saw Bob. I think she was both gifted and um, in the same way that Laura was, in the same way that Sarah was, because you can argue and you read in John Thornton's new book that Sarah was taken over by season three. She wasn't Sarah anymore. She was, I don't know if it was Judy or the Rognoff, but I can, we're going way off there, but there's one scene where Cooper is talking about the people who see Bob as a psychic circle. Ronette was a part of that too, I forgot to mention, that you mentioned. And I think all of them were gifted and damned, except for Ronette was the only one to survive. And the reason why Ronette saw, I don't think she might have seen Bob if she hadn't been there when Laurel was killed. What do you think? The thing that I always think of with Maddie is that I always think that this is who Laura should have been, that she never should have had to face the adversity she did from 12 onward, and that this is almost the life that she could have had if Leland uh, slash Bob wasn't a factor, where it's like her life seems a little boring, but she seems to have her own apartment. But it seems like it might not be the most fulfilling life, but it's at least a good life. Of course, her meeting that fate. I always wouldn't want to think of her as being Dan because, you know, we brought up Sarah with Judy. I mean, if you want to talk about being damned, I feel like that's like the worst fate you could have. But in terms of Renette and Maddie, I would at least think of them as being gifted because, I mean, with Renette, you know, we can say what we will about the American Girl in part three of season three, but there's no confirmation of what really happened with Renette after the events of the original series. And unfortunately with Maddie, of course, she faced a horrible death, but I think of how after that death, barring James, but everyone in the roadhouse feels it. And I kind of wonder if it had less to do with Leland killing and more of Maddie's presence going away. Because the thing is that um, Cooper feels it, Margaret feels it, Bobby actually feels it. I know that there's a behind the scenes of Lynch. He just saw Dana Ashbrook was still on set and just said, hey, you look good in this scene. But I still think that in universe, that means something that Bobby could feel that, especially with we see his role in season three. And then Donna starts sobbing uncontrollably. I don't really have a good reason for why James wouldn't feel it. I mean, of course, this is the rebuttal of that, you know, he's not, he's like, not the brightest crayon in the box, but <laughs> there's a serious ramification that people feel in the roadhouse, like even the old man where he comes up to him. And I actually think that's the most devastating part. Um, I think maybe it's just the delivery of the actor, but when he says, I'm so sorry, like yeah. you can feel the weight in his words that he feels that there's something horrible just occurred. Yeah, the scene in the roadhouse before Maddie is killed and after Maddie is killed is a part of the same scene to me um, as her being killed. There's so much sorrow in her being killed, of course, and realizing what it meant. But in the roadhouse, everybody there feeling it, Cooper, the log lady, Donna, Bobby, and the waiter. I don't know if Bobby had a gift, but he, he did feel things, and he might have seen things or had an instinct about things, as we can see in season three. Maybe he got a little bit of that from his dad. And Donna was able to feel things before, like when Laura was originally killed, before they announced that she was killed, she saw the empty seat and she knew right away. But everybody knew, like Bobby said, everybody knew Laura was in trouble. 
but if they could feel the same power of Maddie having the same fate. Even though Laura is not seen as an innocent person in a lot of ways, she was until she was abused. And she did a lot of good even after that. And Maddie just seemed like a good soul. I mean, who hasn't had a little crush on, on somebody that their friend has a crush on? I'm sorry, in my early 20s, that happened, unfortunately, a lot, you know? And that's the age she was when she came back to Twin Peaks. Yeah, people can it was just absolute sadness. Roadhouse scene, Cooper felt it really deeply. And Donna crying, I could feel that. And Bobby, yeah, I could feel that. And then, of course, the waiter was revealed later that the ABD had lodged here. So he kind of knew if he was one and the same with the giants, as I say in the last episode. But yeah, it was it was intense sadness. That whole sequence of that episode of Lonely Souls is just so powerful and so emotional. The whole thing surrounding Maddie's death itself, but the feeling of the pain before and after the roadhouse. I think the big contrast, though, is that how everyone feels it so strongly and then it's almost like, and I said this in my Ronette episode, is that she seems pretty much quickly forgotten, though, after that. Because in the following episode, I know we go in a whole episode where Leland, he's driving around with her body. And strange enough, almost felt like he wanted to show Cooper, like he was going to say that it was the clubs. But I don't know if you had any stance on, I know that we're talking a little bit, you know, with Maddie being dead, but I still feel like there's a factor behind this of... Leland uh, just opening the trunk, almost disappointed that he couldn't show Cooper. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there was anything about the Leland slash Bob dynamic that you had in mind for that. Well, it almost looked in that scene like he wanted to strike Cooper with his golf club. And I'm just like, wow, he's getting a little bit, Bob's getting a little bit brave there to do stuff out in front of the sheriff. I don't know. I think like Leland is Bob, like where they go to the Great Northern. And they tell Leland that Ben has been arrested. And it looks like Leland is crying. And he goes around the corner and his shoulders are shaking. And he's really laughing. And his shoulders are shaking because he's laughing. So I think he's laughing at everybody. He finds all of it so amusing. He's like, what can I get away with? And he, around the corner, he's hearing, you know, he hears that his friend and his clients killed his daughter, which didn't happen. And on the other side of the wall, he's dancing, which is a part of how Cooper, I guess, solved the mystery, but the dancing thing. But yeah, he just kind of got naughty. He's like, oh, let's see what I can get away with at that point. With Maddie also, is that I do think it's strange is that she is brought up when Leland's dying about like when everything starts falling back. But after that, when everyone's trying to reel from everything, of course, they're trying to wrap their mind around like what they saw when the water set uh, Leland off. Well, there's that part when they talk about, or right, well, really, Cooper, would it make you feel better to know that a father would rape his own daughter? And then uh, Truman just like in, in absolute defeat says no, but Maddie's not really mentioned at all. And this sets the precedent for the rest of the season onward is that much like Renette, where Maddie's just surprisingly just completely forgotten and even the realm of uh, of like the three days later, even if there's that condensed grieving process, stuff like uh, Donna being back in high school, I feel like for her, it's one thing when you find out your best friend is killed, but when your new friend is killed and then you find out that the father slash uncle was the one who killed and also sexually abused your friend, I feel like there's got to be a more long-lasting ramification of just not wanting to show up to school, not being in good spirits. Like, maybe with a whole... 
Ben Horn possibly being her father and later confirmed being her father could replace that, but I feel like there should have been something more somber for the very least Donna throughout that mid part of season two. As far as Maddie, Maddie disappeared. It's like she was non-existent after Leland died until the final episode. And the same thing with Ronette. Ronette shows up in the final episode. She smells the oil. Maddie shows up in the in the red room. For half a second in the final episode when Cooper's in the red room and she's wearing the same clothes as Laura and talks about being the cousin. I think she's, what does she say? She says, watch out for my cousin. And then she disappears. And the thing I thought was interesting is that Maddie and Annie are the only ones who like disappear like in front of your eyes. And I kind of wonder, because I, with Annie, I've kind of had my thoughts back and forth on her, but I feel like there's a distinct purity of the two. And that the fact that the two disappeared, that there's at least a vague connection of sorts. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about how that scene played out. My thing is that I'll mention this with the Lodge spirits, at least the ones with like the contactless eyes, is that I kind of view that when they're, you know, like in Fire Walk With Me, when Laura is ascended to, uh, you know, gets her angel, basically the ugliness of them is still left behind. Like, for example, Maddie, she's just there, but then she disappears. But then uh, Cooper sees Laura and it's just like this unstoppable anger of like and screaming and just like this like almost like an exorcism of sorts, the way she's screaming. And there's definitely a contrast to Laura's doppelganger to Maddie. And it's about how the conflicts that they dealt with, how Laura had so much more that she had to deal with compared to Maddie. And, uh, you know, what's left behind for them, that this is uh, an indicator of sorts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because after Maddie disappears in the red room, all chaos happens. Like, and as you said about about Maddie being innocent and Annie being an innocent person, they didn't wind up having doppelgangers and like the other characters did, like uh, the Arn and Cooper and Laura. Let me just say something about Shirley. I, <laughs> Shirley, I mean, it's so she's such a wonderful actress, and I know we all agree on that. It's like. With me, I forget sometimes that she plays Maddie and Laura. You know, she's just that amazing. And you know, as far as screaming, she, I, for me, she's my all-time favorite scream queen. She, nobody can scream like Cheryl. You know, it's not just in Twin Peaks. Other movies she's been in, she is just a hell of a screamer. I think in the case of uh, Cheryl Lee, though, this kind of ties into at least what I get out of her playing Maddie is that when I met Cheryl Lee, this was a couple of years ago, I one of the things I told her is that I believe David Lynch saw a true kindness in her that made her the best choice to play Laura. Like, I know that might sound silly that, you know, it's like she's a dead body, but I feel like there's a way that she, you know, when you see her in the flashbacks or in, or in the videotape where you have to have a certain personality for that to carry through. Yeah. And I think that it, it, it was something that Lynch was so attached to that he wanted Cheryl Lee to continue on. But uh, this was the best possible avenue because it's a relative. It's a character who didn't deal with the conflicts and it could still show that certain purity and kindness. I mean, of course, it's not without conflict, but there's some about how Cheryl Lee could play that character that Lynch will just he got something out of. And of course, I'm not trying to impose the idea that I know what Lynch was thinking. This is just kind of where I guess where I was coming from. Well, yeah, I know uh, it's written that Lynch was obsessed with Laura and that's why the movie was focusing on Laura as opposed to what happened with Cooper after Twin Peaks. But yeah, everybody saw something in Cheryl and met her on numerous occasions. And I live in LA and I was telling you this before we started. 
living in LA, you meet a lot of famous people. You meet a lot of people in the industry. And she is one of the kindest, most open-hearted. She is. She's one of the kindest, most open-hearted people who have maybe had an impact in TV or movies that I've ever met. And yes, I'm sure David Lynch did see that, even though her role was basically, well, you lie on the beach naked. And he had to get more from her. He had to create Maddie for her. And thank God he did, because she did show range, not just as Maddie and, and Laura, got Laura in Firewalk With Me, but as Carrie in uh, The Return. And I got to say, another movie I love, Cheryl, and is Backbeat. And I got rec- to recommend that to everybody. She plays Astrid Kirchner, who um, was the girlfriend of Stuart Sutcliffe, who was a, a Beatle before we knew the Beatles. And she was an artist, and she kind of developed the Beatles haircut. Anyway, I love her role as Astrid. She's incredible in that movie, too. That's one of my favorites of Cheryl's. Next to Fire Walk With Me, Backbeat's probably my second favorite performance by her. I think if I can say this without spoiling anything from Backbeat, is that while she doesn't scream quite the range that you see of Carrie Page in Part 18... There is a, a distinct scream at some point in the movie where you really feel the hurt that she has. Yeah, so it's not even just about horror, but she can bring that to like any genre that she works in. And she was absolutely incredible in that movie in particular. I wish more people knew that movie. And, I, and I've looked for it in streaming services. I own the DVD so I can watch it. But I know people who don't have access to DVD and they would really like to see that. So I'm I'm shouting out to all the streaming services. If you can hear me, put that beat on. Yeah, it's one of those movies where everyone who watches it loves it, but it's like it's it stays in that like moderate circulation just because than just DVD. Yeah, I don't think it's on any streaming services, not even like the weird obscure ones. Yeah, it's impossible to find. Yeah, I really want everybody to see it because a lot of people in this community are huge fans of hers. And she gives a hell of a performance in the backbeat as well. You know, I mean, she does other great work in other series and movies too, but backbeat's a particular favorite of mine. And I guess uh, this is kind of a good way to wind down with Maddie is that um, I guess my final thoughts on her are that when you first watch it, it seems like she's kind of like like a great character, but it's kind of like in the subversive soap opera format part. But when you really look into it, I'm, of course, from The Secret Diary and then also the duality of her and Laura, there's a lot of complexity to her. It's not just like a character with like who's memorable because of the most brutal death in TV at that point. There is a lot about Maddie to sink into. Yeah, I've always really felt a lot for that character. And she didn't have a boyfriend at the time that Laura died. She escaped Missoula, I guess, in a way, because she found intrigue in Twin Peaks. And by that, she's us, the watchers, the viewers. There's more interesting stuff here than there might be in my hometown. Let me hang out here. Let me see how crazy things can get, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really great way to wrap it up. Um, I guess uh, with that, on that note, was there any social media or anything you'd like to plug uh, for people to know about? Let's see. I am on Facebook and Twitter as Joyce Picker. I know, really original. My own name, Nala. Anyway, but feel free to follow me. And I use social media lots to uh, joke around. I'm kind of... I'm a one-liner girl. I've always been into comedy, so. But then again, I always post a lot about entertainment, too. So that's me. 
But yeah, no, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, there's a lot about Maddie to sink in because, like I was saying before, there's so much like on the surface, but then there's even more when you divulge into the dynamics. Yeah, I, I do think it's a shame that the character disappeared after Leland died. And probably even more of a shame that the character was just kind of discarded, where it wasn't referenced really much of anything till the season two finale. But yeah, that's uh, I I feel like that if Runette is any indicator that that probably is a theme for better or for worse. But I don't know. I, I just wish that a character with that type of death could have actually been explored a little bit more of the collateral damage uh, afterwards. Even at the memorial, nobody talks about her at the memorial when Leland dies. They just talk about Leland a little bit, but they don't mention Maddie at all. I mean, in all fairness, um, at, at Leland's wake, um, or not wake, after his death, where it does primarily deal with the Milford brothers having a feud. So That's true. <laughs> unfortunately, it seems like there was just that. And of course, there's a lot behind the scenes about that. Yeah, I, you know, it's kind of like... Yeah, I wish I wish she got a little bit more credit, but maybe I mean maybe being the conduit to knowing what happened was what she was meant to be in the long run. Thank you for coming on, Joyce. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. It was so much fun. Thank you so much, Colin. Together.